Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Do you love travel so much that you want to work in travel, maybe do something around travel? I have a shout out to somebody in the listening community today who wrote me an email saying she has a dream to become a photojournalist and maybe one day work for somebody like National Geographic. And I think she's off to a good start with her plan. I'll share more about that in today's show. And speaking of working in travel, we have somebody who has been doing it for a long time and traveling relentlessly for many years. You've probably heard of nomadicmat.com, a massive online travel resource. And we've got Matt on the show today sharing personal stories from his new book and some great advice as well, which is exactly what he does best. I think combining these stories and personal travel experiences with practical advice, just a few things we cover. Traveling with debt, is it a good idea? We talk about the post-travel blues and how to handle that when you come home from a long trip, maybe slip back into your home country or your old life, and all of a sudden, you're bumming hard. What should you do? We talk about it. Also, for long-term travelers or nomads, how to decide when to wrap it up, when to say, hey, this trip is over, and I'm headed home. We cover all this and so much more in today's interview. You're going to love it, and it's happening right now in this show. So buckle up, grab your favorite beverage, your favorite podcast beverage. What is your favorite airline beverage, by the way? What's your go-to when you're on the plane? I'll share mine in just a moment. All right, let's get into this. Enough chatting. Here we go. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending a little time with me here today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I'm honored that you're part of this listening community. I desire a lot of travel. I guess you do too, which I guess is what is bringing us together here today. You're going to get plenty of travel in this show, as you heard at the top. Now, I am not traveling very much right now, but I'm based in Norway. If you listen to this show, you know that. And as an expat, I do feel 
that travel vibe quite often because I have to speak in a foreign language. And especially this time of year, as I'm recording this, it's the spring and the light here is so long. So it's pretty trippy when I walk out of my co-working space where I'm recording this and it's say 11 o'clock or 1030 and there's still that sort of dusk kind of light outside. It's insane. And it also makes me not want to sleep that much, which is double insane because you know how it is when you don't sleep and the light and I don't know. It's a very fascinating time of year to be here or really anywhere this far north with the light. The light plays tricks on you. So that's the vibe I'm in. What vibe are you in today? Where are you at in the world? Why haven't you checked in? If you haven't written me an email yet, drop me a line sometime, jason at zero to travel.com. Always love to hear from you find folks out there in the listening community, the Zero to Travel Caravan, and I have a shout-out to share in this show in a second. First, I want to quickly thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. I just added a new backpack to my list because if you go to that link, you're going to see all of the travel gear that I recommend from Tortuga. Not only that, as a Zero to Travel podcast listener, you get 10% off just for using the promo code TRAVEL, just the word TRAVEL when you check out. Now, I could go on and on about these bags, but if you just go to that link, you can see the ones I recommend. I'm looking at my 35-liter set out right now, which I use all the time. I use my Outbreaker Day Pack constantly, not just when I'm traveling, but also in my daily life at home. The Outbreaker Backpack is my go-to if I'm traveling. I don't want to check a bag. So just check them out. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. Promo code TRAVEL. The word travel when you check out. You don't have to waste your time doing a bunch of research, looking at a bunch of bags. Check these out. Treat yourself. Pick one up for yourself, maybe for another travel lover in your family as a gift. All sorts of cool stuff there. So thanks to them for supporting today's show. Now, at the top... I mentioned working in travel and that one of you out there in the community wrote me an email saying they have a dream to become a photojournalist for someone like National Geographic. I love those big dreams. And I said she's off to a good start because if this is a dream, you probably need to travel. And yeah, we all need another excuse to travel, right? I'll read this email really quickly. Hey, Jason, my name is Reese. I've been listening to your podcast for the past year or so, and I continue to look forward to each new episode. Your podcast has been one of the driving forces behind my decision to take a gap year. Just finished high school and volunteer around the world starting in August. I've been using the website Workaway to find places to stay, and I will be staying in the French Alps for two months. From there, I'm going to the Balkans region, hopefully Croatia, Montenegro, or both. After that, I plan on staying in North Africa, specifically Morocco, before I come home sometime next year. My dream is to become a photojournalist, maybe one day work for someone like National Geographic. The world is so massive and interesting, but small and connected at the same time. Thanks for being a part of my inspiration to think more mindfully about how to live my life. It seems like everyone around me dreads what they're doing. Everyone is working tirelessly to retirement and being an adult has become like a slave sentence. I simply don't want that. Keep creating content. Thanks, Reese. And I shot Reese a quick video to say thank you. This email came at a great time because yeah, it's hard to create content all the time. But you guys keep me going. It's emails like this that really keep me going. And I really, truly really appreciate when people reach out. And just taking that gap year, Reese, before starting college. So even if everybody around you is starting college or moving on to whatever, and you're kind of the one going against the grain, that's okay. That's perfect. That's cool because it's in line with what it is that you want to do. And I think it's... I wish gap year culture was more in the American culture. For some reason, Americans do feel 
in my experience growing up in America that you kind of have to go from high school to college to the working world and there's no gap year culture whereas in other countries they do have that so I think it's a wonderful thing and I just want to say congratulations to her and I like to share these community stories because hey we can all become inspired by each other's actions and maybe you or maybe somebody else out there is thinking about a gap year or a career break or something like that for travel just a little food for thought for you today i'm just sharing that's my job to share here this is a community powered show and i am here for you so please get in touch anytime okay let's get into today's interview we talked about working in travel and my guest today has certainly been doing that very successfully for a while and we do discuss his work in travel, travel blogging, all the things I mentioned at the top of the show, and so much more. You're going to love listening in on my chat with Matt, and please enjoy it. I will see you on the other side, my friend, and there I will share a quote and also my favorite airline beverage, my go-to airline beverage. Actually, it goes between two. So anyway, I want to hear yours, but (laughs) let's get to the interview, and I'll see you on the other side. If you've ever searched for anything travel-related online, you've probably come across my guest's hugely popular and award-winning website, nomadicmat.com. He's got a brand new book out July 16th, 2019, at the time of this recording. It's called 10 Years a Nomad, and it's a memoir about his decade of world travel. He really does an incredible job of combining personal stories with lessons and advice around travel for you. He calls this book his, quote, opus on travel. I read it and very much enjoyed it, and I'm thrilled to have him here as a guest today and chat about it. Matt Kepnis, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, Jason. Excited to finally be on the show. It's nice to finally have you. It's been a long time coming, and congrats on the book. I mean, huge congrats. We were just talking a bit before we started recording here, and uh, I've read it in record time for me, considering I have uh, a couple kids kind of pulling at me and... uh, Really, just such a great mix of advice and personal stories, and I can't wait to talk about the whole memoir process and that side of it, because that's a a little tricky. But I have a very difficult question to come out of the gates. Uh, What did you have for breakfast this morning? (laughs) An apple. An apple? (laughs) Yeah. Is that your typical breakfast? Are you a light eater? I typically make eggs, but where I am, I just didn't have eggs and felt pretty lazy. Yeah. Where's that? Uh, Verona, Italy. Okay, cool. Do you have a morning routine when you're home? Yeah, you know, I, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I meditate for two hours. I journal. I exercise. Then I drink my special <laughs> chai tea. Yeah. Followed by six hours of uh, more meditation. And then I start my day. Don't forget about the bulletproof coffee. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I mix that with the tea. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's like a power punch right there of a drink. I like that. (laughs) That's that's like next level entrepreneurship. (laughs) No, I was wondering because I was curious how how maybe your sort of morning ramp up, whatever that is, if it's the same when you're home versus how it is on the road. Because I know for me, like one of the things I love about travel is that routines are completely shattered when I'm on the road and I like that. When I'm home, I cook breakfast. Uh, When I'm on the road, I just tend to just go out to have a breakfast or get a croissant or hostel breakfast, hotel breakfast. Uh, but my morning ritual is I, 
I wake up, I shower, I brush my teeth, and then I eat breakfast, and then I start my day. I have no none of the stuff you always hear entrepreneurs do. I just don't have time for that. <laughs> I know just from being on your email list and following your work that you were in Paris recently, which is, of course, every writer wants to go live in Paris, right? That's kind of like the, the writer dream. And uh, I mean, I know how I feel when... Like I was eating pizza in Italy for the first time, for example, or drinking a scotch at a local pub in Scotland. Like there's that whole feeling of having that travel experience in the place that it's supposed to happen, quote unquote, supposed to. I just wanted to hear about your experience living in Paris and writing. Paris was a good break for me. I, I had moved there. I moved there in hopes of just sort of breaking bad habits in New York. You know, I didn't really have like a good workflow there. You know, like my co-working space. Ate out too much, drank too much, slept too little. And so I just kind of wanted a reset. And so, you know, I mean, you can't escape your problems. Your habits follow you around the world. But at least in, in Paris, I could deny some of those bad habits battle and start fresh. You know, I worked a lot, which is what I wanted. You know, I had the book coming out, uh, running a conference, just catching up on all the work I should have been doing, find a really good co-working space where I could get into flow, no friends, uh, which was good because I just cut down a lot of my drinking, uh, cooked more. You know, it was just a really good time to take a vacation from life. And so I, uh, I worked, I wrote, and I sightseed. And, and to me, that was really what I wanted to get out of, get out of it. You know, I, it was everything I needed to be at the time. It still is, because I'm still there till the end of June. So, um, you know, by the time this comes out, I'll have been gone. But for the time I was there, you know, it was what I needed to be. Right. But when you go on a trip, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is kind of like the pre-trip sort of expectations that don't always match up, but you can also try to manage them. How do you, do you manage that process? Do you not think about that kind of stuff and just go? Or, or do you kind of set intentions before trips like, hey, I think I hope I get this out of this trip? You know, I always tend to just go and see what unfolds. My move to Paris was, you know, in my head, I was going to hit the ground running, make a lot of friends, go to all these events, hook myself into sort of the entrepreneur influencer scene here, go to PR events, do as much as possible. And uh, I did none of that grand plans but you know suddenly it's five o'clock and you're like well i've been working all day and hungry i want to go watch netflix and so for me even though i never got any of that done i don't feel as if i missed out on anything because it allowed me to really clear out a lot of work and catch up on chilling out in a way i i couldn't do when i was in new york there is something to, you know you're productive when you have a routine, right? When, when your brain can go, this is work time, and you can get into flow, that's the best time to work, right? But when you're always like, I normally work from 8 to 12, but now I got to catch a train, and the train's really uncomfortable, or there's no table available, now you can't get work. Then you're at your new destination, racing to get work done, and when you really just want to be out. I feel much better about my work-life balance after Paris. 
Well, this kind of reminds me of a quote from your book. You said, here's one thing that is certain about travel. All your plans will go out the window. And it sounds like that's uh, that's what happened in Paris, which, of course, as we're kind of talking about here, it isn't, isn't a bad thing, right? Does being on the road help you stay in the moment a bit more in that way? Because you mentioned the whole idea of, you know, getting into the workflow and everything like that. And I'm, I totally agree with you. And, but there's also something I think about being taken out of that and getting sort of put back into the moment. Like I find that I'm easier on myself when I'm on the road and I'm not getting stuff done as opposed to if I'm home and I'm not getting stuff done. Cause I feel like I'm still doing something by being on the road. What are your thoughts around that? One of the best ways I, I get stuff done is you, you just create a schedule. You know, when I'm on the road, that's travel time. And when I'm home, that's work time. And so I just focus on that one thing. I don't believe you can really work and travel anymore. I don't, I used to be able to do that. I don't really believe that's the best way to do things. And I think when you're starting off, it's much easier because you don't have as many work commitments. But when you sort of hit the threshold of size and you're, you're getting tons of comments and you have a staff and you're involved in all sorts of projects and there's deadlines and people are trying to set up podcasts and interviews and meetings. Suddenly, you know, you're trying to fit everything together and it just doesn't work out. Travel time is travel time. Work time is work time. And that's it. Now, of course, I travel. When I travel, I work, you know, a little bit in the morning, but I don't do any heavy lifting projects. I'm not doing SEO or checking over designs. I'm writing and checking emails and doing social media and just checking in. Uh, if something important needs to be done, I will then stay in one destination for a while and take a break from travel, focus on work. Because you didn't go travel the world so you can spend all day looking for a good Wi-Fi connection. I think balance is overrated. Uh, I don't think any, I don't think life is ever balanced, but I think if you can stay focused on the one thing you're doing at that one time, they can have balance. One of the things that I applaud you for that you talk about very openly in this book and also on your blog and through your email newsletter and everything is some of the anxieties and things that you've experienced. And you mentioned balance being overrated, but also at the same time when things get out of balance, I'm sure those types of things can occur. And I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that. And, and this is a topic you you cover a lot in, in the book. You know, when did that kind of start for you? Was that something anxiety and things like that? Was that something you experienced growing up or was it more related to starting this blog and then it's getting bigger and now all of a sudden I have all this pressure to do all these things? Well, I'm naturally like a very high-strung person. I grew up in a workaholic kind of environment. That's not to say like work was valued more than anything else. It's just you worked and you you honored your responsibility to the work and the job you you did. Anxiety really took over when I was trying to balance all the work and travel. When I mean balance is overrated, I mean like when you know people try to balance everything 
because you're not focused on one singular task. You're balanced when you're, you're focused on, this is what I'm doing right now. That's the only thing that matters. Uh, and then when this is done, I'll focus on that next thing. That's balance. People always talk about like juggling things. Oh, I, I'm trying to work-life balance and I'm trying to do this and that. It's because you're trying to do it all at the same time. Like you're juggling everything and you're spinning all of these plates. That's not what I mean about balance. When I tried to spin all those plates and keep them all going, that's when I felt the most stress and have the most anxiety. Because you're always like, whoa, whoa, that one's not spinning fast enough. And then while you're getting that going, another one's slowing down. So you always have to keep like shifting your focus. And so something always suffers. And, and when something suffers, that was what made me feel anxious. Like here I am in this new destination. I'm not giving it all the attention it deserves because I'm trying to find Wi-Fi, And because, so that made me feel guilty. But when I'm out traveling, I feel guilty that I didn't, I'm not getting work done as fast as I can. Uh, and like projects are slowing down. Thus the team slows down. Thus that creates a lot of anxiety and it was all out of whack. Work like balance for me is knowing when work stops and knowing when to just focus on one thing. You grew up near Boston, right? You got it. Yeah. I grew up in Go the Northeast. North, <laughs> I grew up in the Northeast too, outside of Philly. And uh, there's something about the Northeast that, I don't know, I, there's some kind of high strongness just being in the Northeast and growing up there, I feel. I don't know if that's a real energy that exists, but I definitely feel it when I go back there. Well, it's our Puritan work ethic, you know? I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really what it is, you know? That whole region has a very strong work, work ethic, and I think that affects everything. People move, people are, you know, go, 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 get stuff done, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. The, the workaholic aspect, I mean, was that kind of the expectation from, do you think your surroundings or more from your family or just the way you were raised? I think it was just more a combination of factors. You know, my mom works a lot and loves her job and kind of emulated that. I just always felt that, you know, you make a commitment, you, you honor it, and just naturally focused and high strung. So a lot of that melding together is like, you know, I never took a sick day. Why would I take a sick day? You know, you got to go to work today. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, that's what you should do. That's what a responsible person does. I mean, to this day, I don't like taking sick days at work. That's what you got to do. It's just me like a, I guess a strong work ethic is a positive character trait. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a younger sister. She's a teacher's aide. Is she into travel at all? or? Yeah, not as much as I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but neither are my parents, so I'm kind of the outlier in my family on the, all that. But yeah, no, she travels. She's always trying to go somewhere. She's like, use your points and send me somewhere free. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, growing up, you, you didn't do a lot of traveling, it sounds like, with the, with the family in terms of overseas-type international experiences, correct? Yeah, we did the typical American vacation, you know, Disney World, D.C., 
uh, national parks on the way down to see grandma. At what point during your travels did the the whole idea of documenting it and starting a website and starting to build a career around this start to percolate? You know, I had a Zanga. I don't know if you remember what Zanga is. Um, it was sort of like an online, like a live journal blog before there were blogs. You know, you Zanga.com backslash everyone's URL and you could like make them kind of like GeoCities and like all sorts of HTML the way you wanted to do as annoying as you wanted. So I like had been blogging for a while. So when I went away, I sort of kept uh, a blog. I mean, I don't know, didn't really call it a blog back then, but a blog spot, whatever for friends and family. And then when they stopped reading, I stopped updating. But when I came back, I wanted to do something, something, anything really to work and travel. And I just thought, well, I should create a website so people can find my work. So the the original iteration of Nomadic Matt was really just an online resume. That's all it was meant to be. You know, the blog was a way to really document my comings and goings on the web. So if I had done an interview or if I had written a guest post or I'd done a podcast or uh, was commissioned for an article, any of that sort of lived on a page on the site where like, here's how I've been featured as a way to come hire me to write your guidebook. And, you know, I wanted to be a travel writer, um, write guidebooks like Lonely Planet and just go off like um, across between Indiana Jones and Bourdain and Bryson. But the blog kind of just took on a life of its own and suddenly I became a one-man guidebook. Um, <laughs> I wrote my own guidebooks and, and then here we are today. Yeah, when did that grander vision of this idea of, oh, I can I can serve people in this way and help them do this and also... I don't need the permission or the gatekeepers to allow me to write books and write guidebooks and do the things that I want to do because that just happened organically by kind of diving into entrepreneurship, reading books, understanding, hey, this is something I can do. Or was there some kind of epiphany where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. Like screw all this other, you know, getting permission for this or book deals or things like that. I'm just going to do it. It was all very accidental. I started the blog and went traveling the whole idea was just I needed something to keep me traveling. All I wanted to do was make enough money to go to the next destination. Nothing, nothing grander than that. I moved back to Southeast Asia. I taught English uh, for a while. Then I kept working on the blog as a side thing. I learned about SEO and AdSense and like internet marketing. And I like created all these weird websites on, you know, internet like marketing. And I once had a website called uh, how to train your beagle. Cause <laughs> that really had like a really high uh, payout rate for Google AdSense. Okay. Yeah. Um, one day this guy who was a pseudo mentor was like, Matt, why are you doing all this stuff? You know, why don't you just, talk about travel. You have this other website, people read it. Why are you spending your time doing all this other stuff when you could just put all your attention into this travel website? And so I took what I learned and started working on the blog full time while still teaching English. I just 
only did English and, and blog. And eventually the blog started to make enough money where I could use that as the main source of travel income. And eventually just started to make enough money where I could use that as my primary source of income. You know, people just wanted to read it, oddly enough. What kind of advice do you give for people that are thinking about starting a travel blog, even though there are already a gazillion travel blogs out there, and I know that can be a lot of, uh, very intimidating for people to get started. Uh, what is your advice? There are a lot of travel blogs out there, but I think there's no barrier to entry, so just do it. But don't try to be like everybody else. The, the world is full of just being the travel blogger. You know, focus on one specific thing. There are 7 billion people in the world. No matter how obscure your topic is, other people care about it. Don't feel as if, oh, I, I, I don't have a lot of followers. What, what matters is not the size of the followers you have, but the engagement of the followers. So, you know, as Kevin Rose said, you need to, you know, not a thousand true fans. And don't spend time writing about how to train a beagle, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned moving back to Southeast Asia at some point. Was this in 2005 when you quit your job after your trip to Thailand? Was that the time you were referring to? I taught English in Asia when I first went overseas. So halfway through, I needed more money. And I just sort of fell into living in Bangkok in 2007. I taught again in 2008 and 2009. Did you have student debt or any any type of debt when you were getting back out on the road again after you quit your full-time job? I still have student debt. Still have student this debt. Is, this is America. Uh, this is America. Uh, you know, I'm still paying off my, my college loans. You know, when you're overseas, I had budgeted enough money to cover that time. So like all the money I had saved uh, before I went away, I had factored in that I would need a certain amount of money per month to um, pay off those loans at the same time. Now, I think today you can defer the lo those loans if you're not working, but I, I didn't. I don't know much about that. I think you can, but who knows? Now I have a job and they don't let me defer. Right. <laughs> I was going to ask what your advice was around that. It sounds like just budgeting for, because obviously having debt didn't stop you. I traveled with debt as well. Do you have some advice? Like if somebody's listening and they're like, hey, I have debt. Should I go travel? Is something I want to do, but am I being irresponsible for doing this? Uh, yeah, go. Now, don't add to your debt. Like, don't go travel on a credit card. Uh, but student debt is, is real debt, you know? If they, if you can defer it, so like you know, have to pay while you're not working, do that, uh, or just you know, budget into it. You know, like if you're like, okay, I need twenty thousand dollars for my year away, or whatever it is you need. Uh, my student loans are gonna cost me two hundred bucks a month. Budget an extra twenty four hundred bucks into into that, so you're paying it off. Right. If you can think back to when. You left that last stable job. Were you <laughs> crapping your pants or were you just kind of like, all right, this is what I'm doing and there's no looking back and no matter what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay on the road. Like what was your mindset at that time? I really just wanted to stay on the road. You know, I came back and started temping because I needed money. And, uh, and while I 
figuring my life out, so to speak. And I just really hated being in the cubicle. It was just the worst. I felt like dying. You know, it was, I had come back from this exciting trip around the world. I had changed. I was like this brand new person who just entered his old life and had remained frozen while I was away. And uh, just felt like if I go back to this thing, it's as if what I did didn't matter. And I just thought, screw it. I'm going to go back traveling again. You know, I'm, I'm in no rush. I'll start a job. I'll go teach. Uh, I'll figure it out. And it's like, I'm going to defer. I'll go a little longer, you know, uh, and we'll see how it goes. I just kept on going. You know, this is something you talk about a bit in the book, that whole idea of um, coming back and and what that's like. I don't know. Do you you have any advice for people, say, coming off a year of travel and reintegrating themselves back into, quote unquote, real life, so to speak? (laughs) And maybe, you know, even if that's just something they want, a lot of people, they just go traveling for a year and they're like, all right, I did that. Uh, All right, I just want to ready to live somewhere, but that doesn't necessarily mean there aren't going to be challenges. What, what kind of uh, advice do you give around that? Post-trip depression is real. I mean, because it's very anticlimactic. You're building up to this huge event, you know, that you're going to undertake, you know, you're planning, you're getting all this stuff together and then you're off and then it's just like over with one flight. It's just, that's it. It's just, flick of the wrist it's gone so people get really depressed when they come home i think some of the ways to get over that is just uh we'll plan another trip go on blogs and forums and commiserate with other travelers join any local couch surfing or meetup group that relates to travel um that way you can sort of keep in that mindset try to be a tourist in your own city. You know, the big problem is, is that you're trying to recreate, you know, this experience in your old environment. And you can't do that because your old environment and your new way of thinking, they, they clash. So you have to bring some of your new way of thinking into your old environment to create a new environment. You know, so keep that travel mindset, you know, and keep exploring at, and doing what you can within that uh, sphere of where you are now. Wherever it is you live, try to go do something new on the weekends, you know, um, take up a new hobby, join some groups, you know, stay active. What, what happens with a lot of people is that they come home and they don't do anything. And it's like, oh my God, I went from this exciting life to just <laughs> watching netflix i i was just uh floating down the mekong river last week and now i'm just getting a slurpee at 7-eleven whatever <laughs> which those things i kind of find too sometimes those can be comforting as well right like you come home and you just go to your regular familiar coffee shop and you get your cup of coffee and you see the same dude or gal that works there and and that can also be nice that's the flip side of that exactly you are tied in with a hostel in Austin. Uh, is that something that you still are part owner in or full owner? I'm not really sure what. Yeah, I, uh, me and my friend own a hostel in Austin called HK Austin. It's a cool little hostel. It's a little um, nice little small, only about 
15, 16 beds, you know, it's very intimate. We like to just be sort of like a low key, you know, make you feel like family, you know, where it's not a hundred beds. We're not, you know, we host some events, we do barbecues, um, but you know, there's no onsite bar, you know, it's, it's how hostels used to be, you know, you're there to meet the people. So yeah, I love it. Was getting involved with that part of your, I guess, post travel depression cure in a way, just kind of like, Hey, I mean, that's the extreme example, right? I love staying in hostels. I love meeting other travelers. I'll just open a hostel and then we'll always be able to be around that. Was that at all part of the decision for you to invest in something like that? Well, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I really don't get that post-travel depression anymore. Um, I got over that depression when I decided to go away and never come home. Uh, when I was like, oh, see you. I want to start a blog and go back to Asia 10 years later. Hey, I'm still traveling around. Uh, so that decision to start the hostel was just because I always loved the idea of owning a hostel and then the opportunity presented itself. And I was like, I can't pass this up. Uh, so, you know, I just thought it'd like, be cool, you know. And plus, you know, then I wouldn't say it was a cure for post-trip depression, but it was a lot, but it was something that allowed variety into my life, you know. Go by the hostel, see what's going on. Um, talk to modern travelers and get the lay of the land, you know, get the scoop on what's new. Uh, you know, sort of, still be in the travel world even though I had routine. When you say a cure for your depression, it makes it seem like you're trying to replace one thing with something else. You know, like, oh, I need I needed a fix, you know, I was sad and now I'm, I'm happy. Um, in this instance, that is not the case. Um, this was just like, you know, I'm going to, you know, a way to bring some of the travel world to me if I couldn't go to them. As far as coming home, I want to stay on this topic for one more second because when you're traveling indefinitely, and I've done it as well, like you don't have a home. So you don't really have a home to decide to go back to, which means if you want to get off the road, you have to really commit to getting off the road and finding a home and maybe even getting some stuff. The horror, right? <laughs> and uh, you say in the book, quote, you're free to stop, but stopping seems like the least free thing you can do. It feels like an admission of failure. And I'm just wondering, how did you or how do you decide for yourself when it is truly time to stop and get off the road. I'm not sure where your life is right now at the time of this recording, but I mean, I think there's always, when you travel for work like you do, I mean, you could always go for months and months and months if you want to, or you could book a return ticket and know exactly when you're coming back. I mean, how do you decide that for yourself? I think when you're more excited to stay in one place and go on another trip, that's when you're ready to plant roots. I mean, for me, it was a lot of starting and stopping. I'm going to move. I'm done. Oh, actually, I'm not really done. No, I'm really, I'm done. No, I'm not really yeah. done. And there's so much back and you know, forth. It's crazy, right? Like it was, yeah, there was a lot, there were years of back and forth. But, you know, I think when I started to go on the road for long periods of time and started to see like around a month, I just want to like kill everyone and just like, <laughs> like leave me alone. I want to go wake up every day in the same place and watch Netflix. Please let me be, 
get out of my hostile space. You know, (laughs) I realized I should probably go home. Yeah. 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 Like this is way too bitter. I should not be here. (laughs) Yeah. And I cared not to meet people. And I think it's something that happens with life. You know, when you're 25, you think, Oh my God, why would I ever want to stop this? Well, when you're 38, you're like, Oh, I can see why I want to stop this. I don't want to party with 25 year olds. You know, I, I don't want to get drunk with 19 year olds. I'm I'm okay. I'm over that. I don't want to get drunk at all. The hangovers are terrible. Um, you know, it, it eventually just hit a point where your goals change. And when my goals finally shifted to be working and committing to, to like, I love what I do and I want to focus on that, to want to like eat healthy and get regular sleep and, you know, learn to cook, I realized like, you have to do that. A tree only grows when it has roots. And so you can be an acorn blowing in the wind for so long, but if you want to get to the next phase of your life cycle, you got to plant some roots. Yeah, if you like to cook, those hostel kitchens can be pretty good training, right? Because you're working with all these bare tools and ingredients oftentimes. <laughs> so then you come home, you have your kitchen, you're like, holy crap, I've got everything I need, every spice I need. This is this is easy now. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> there can be some great adventures though, cooking cooking like a, a meal in a hostel with a bunch of people that you just met is always a, a fun time. I met my wife in a hostel actually. So it's cool that you own a hostel because you never know what kind of connections you're making there too, giving back. <laughs> Are you living in Austin right now or New York? Where are you? Well, I know you're in Italy, but um, are you living somewhere right now? I am residing in Paris till summertime, and then I'm moving back to Austin. Okay. Do you, do you have a place there that you own? Do you just rent when you come back? or how? I'm just wondering how rooted you are. You mentioned being rooted. How rooted you are to Austin? Yeah, you know, I don't have a place there, but I just... As you're living in New York and realizing, okay, I'm overliving there. I want space. Uh, I transitioned from there to Paris, and now I'm like ready to go to Austin. I want a good sized apartment with big windows and lots of light and a huge kitchen. And it's really hard to get in New York City if you don't have millions of dollars. Do you like commit to? Oh, I'll just try this out for a year, and if I want to travel again, I'll go do it. Or are you just going with a totally open mind? Because this is, like you mentioned, this is no, a struggle. No, I'm going back for good. You're going back for I'm good. Done. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, are you going to have a garden? I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you got to read the book to get that reference. Um, let's talk about mm-hmm. the book because, uh, like I mentioned, there's a lot of great advice in it. And also, it's a memoir, so you're telling so many personal stories. Did you struggle with sharing personal stories, having to kind of go through those and then write them down. Was there any struggle there? Cause I've never tried to write a memoir before. And I always think that writing about yourself is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, it was super difficult. And one of the hardest things to do And my editor, uh, and I went back and forth and they always said more, 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 like more honesty. You mean, or what do you mean? Yeah. More info, more honesty, more depth, just, you know, um, Bear your soul. And I think when you write a memoir, you have to have an, you have to be honest and you have to honestly bear your soul. Um, words and all, 
That's the only thing that gives the backstory to the story you're telling. Uh, can people relate to people on an emotional level? So if they don't emotionally get where you're coming from, it's going to be really hard for them to understand the story. You know, I can tell that same story in like 20 pages, but you're not going to like it. You're not going to understand it. You're just going to skip over lots of things that you don't understand how it, how the character gets there. Like if you're writing a memoir, like you write a novel, you're the main character, right? So you got to think, well, how does my main character get from A to B? What's the hero's journey there? And so if you're writing a novel, you would explain all this backstory, right? Can't do the same thing in the memoir. Did you have any conversations with people that are in the book uh, that, hey, I'm going to talk about this. Is that okay? Or was it just, hey, I'm just going to bear my soul and write everything? I was forced to bear my soul more and more, but eventually I got comfortable with it. Well, let's see what the parents say. They're eventually going to have to read this book. <laughs> we'll have to do a follow-up to find out. The book writing process for this particular book, how did it work for you? Did Were you writing, were you just thinking of a story and then writing individual stories? Did you outline the whole thing first? How did you piece this thing together? This is like the fifth version. I just sort of wrote what happened linearly and then I shifted those around and then we shifted around and then we sort of got on this idea of what if instead of telling a story, we told an emotional thematic journey. You start your trip, you, you get the travel bug, you plan, you go, you get excited, you get burnt out, you go back again, you get slightly more burnt out, you work overseas, like you come home and then you finally get okay with coming home. You know, it's sort of like the ups and downs of travel. Reliving some of maybe the more difficult memories, for example, you write about you know, some heartbreak relationship type stuff in there. Does writing about that, is it cathartic? Is it helping you untether from some of like the more difficult memories or are you just really looking at it objectively? How did, in the process of writing this book, I'm just curious how that affected you emotionally, personally. You know, I had sort of alluded to a lot of this in the blog and I kept a journal, so it was already kind of out there in a way. I think I was more worried about the high school, college stuff than it was like, oh, I went traveling and it didn't work out because I didn't want to stop traveling. That's just, you know, so. Why were you more worried about that stuff? I felt like that's the more personal stuff. You know, you're going to have to read the book to find that out, but I feel like that was sort of, I think, you know, because then I allude a lot to sort of being like the geeky kid and it's like, oh, you know, still, you know, worried about people judging. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the beautiful things about it was seeing how travel impacted you in in that way and, you know, some of the things you talked about early on in your life and how it related to travel and what travel has done for you in many aspects of your life. And the book is 10 Years a Nomad, and I do recommend it, Matt. I really enjoyed reading it. And I, I just uh, have a couple more questions for you. I wanted to ask you about your flight program, your organization. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so Flight, uh, the Foundation for Learning and Youth Travel Education, uh, is a program that we give money to underserved communities around the country to take educational trips overseas. So think about the science teacher that wants to take their class to Costa Rica to learn about biodiversity or the his 
the history teacher who wants to take his class to the D-Day beaches. And so we fund that because not everyone can, can do that. They don't have a school or a community that has the funds to make that happen. And so we provide those fronts. So we have an application process. You know, teachers have to submit all this stuff and we sort of eventually choose one and then we fund that trip. And we sort of help with some stuff. That's fantastic. How, how long have you been running that? Three years. Okay, going well? We fund a couple of trips a year. Where This year we're really picking up speed and hoping to get about to three to five trips out this year. So if you want to learn more about that and help uh, kids travel, uh, takeflight.org. I mean, these are kids, you know, these kids have shown up to airports with their stuff in the trash bag. And then we're like, oh, I guess we have to buy luggage. You know, we don't even think of like luggage as a thing. You go on a trip, you just pack your, your bag. Well, these kids are come from communities where they don't buy luggage because they don't travel anywhere. You know, every one of these kids, you know, they get a passport. We cover that cost. So there's a, there's a lot you don't know, think about. You know, I mean, and, and these kids are in their formative years, so we're trying to expand their minds. Yeah. How did that feel for you when you, when you sent that first kid on a trip overseas? It's nice sending those those kids out. You know, they come back with really eye-opening experiences. You know, these kids come from very rural, small towns and inner cities, and they don't have a lot of exposure to other cultures and and such. Though, we'll leave that link in the show notes. So, if anybody wants to help out with that, it's a really great uh, organization that Matt put together. As you can hear, um, just a couple quick hit questions here for you, Matt. Um, Worst ever travel day, if you can think one off the top of your head. Maybe it's a terrible bus ride or, you know, who knows what it is, but I'd love to hear it. You know, probably the worst day on the road is when I got attacked in Colombia and stabbed. So, I mean, that's probably a pretty bad travel day. Uh, I'd say so. Yeah, what happened there? Somebody tried to take my phone and in the process, there was a little knifing going on and, well... They didn't get my phone because people came and the guy ran off. But yeah, I get some scars. You do. Where did you get stabbed? Uh, the arm in the back. So rushed to the hospital, the whole deal? Yeah, I went to the hospital, got stitched up. I mean, nothing life-threatening, um, but still a very unpleasant experience. How shooken up were you in the days after that? Um, I was fine. It's, it's not life-threatening. But, I mean, traveling for so long, I guess, you know things can happen, but when those types of things... Yeah, I mean, if people if someone run, pa- runs past me, I get a little jolted, but for the most part, I don't think about it. Um, it's just one of those unfortunate things that happens in life, wrong place, wrong time. In life, bad stuff happens. You can't do anything about it. All you can do is handle it. You know, you can only control your reaction to that situation. So I can, you know, make myself a victim here. I can go on and on about it and bring it up. and Or I can just recognize that wrong place, wrong time, move on and not let it dictate how I view life. What was one of your favorite chance encounters with a local? Something, I guess, on a long-distance hiking trail, they would call it like trail magic or something 
you know, some kind of magical encounter with a local. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be your favorite, but just one that stands out to you in all your years on the road. Uh, one of the f- things that happened to me when I was first starting was I was playing poker uh, in Amsterdam, I like to play poker. And I met this guy, uh, Leonard, and a uh, young kid and about the same age at the time. And um, he's like, oh, let's grab a drink after. And we started talking. And I ended up like, staying in Amsterdam for like six weeks and he like playing poker uh and he was like my gateway to all these people in the community so I left Amsterdam with a good circle of friends because of this that's great do you have some serious poker game not as much anymore I (laughs) I only play once or twice a year because I'm awful so <laughs> if you ever want to win any money and we end up in the same city and you ask me to play poker, I'll play, but I, I can't put in a lot, man. I can't promise you a lot because I usually go all in a, about the, the fifth hand just because I get too antsy. I'm terrible. I need, I need some poker lessons. <laughs> and next time we hang out, I'll give you some. Right on, man. Well, uh, I appreciate your, your time today. And uh, yeah, congrats on the book once again. Really was a fantastic read and... 10 Years a Nomad, and of course, nomadicmat.com is where you can find all of Matt's work. Am I, am I missing anything, Matt? No, that's it. You know, you can get the books wherever books are sold. Uh, 10 Years a Nomad, a traveler's journey home. And yeah, nomadicmat.com, social media, backslash nomadicmat on everything. I like to keep the branding simple. Great. And uh, I hope we can do this again sometime in person, maybe over a beer or something move we cross paths somewhere so thanks uh thanks for your time you're welcome thanks for having me there you have it I want to thank matt for stopping by the show today and hope you enjoyed listening in on our chat also want to quickly thank tortuga backpacks for supporting today's show zero to travel.com slash tortuga will take you to a page with all of the backpacks and gear that i recommend from them and you can get 10 percent off by entering the promo code TRAVEL when you check out. Just the word TRAVEL when you check out. Get 10% off any of the Tortuga backpacks. If you're looking for a travel backpack, these are the ones to get, and I encourage you to check out that link. You'll also be supporting my work in this podcast because I'm an affiliate for them, and I get a commission if you purchase anything through that link at no extra cost to you. So thank you for anybody that supports the show in that way. Very much appreciated. Now, before I let you go, a couple things. That airline beverage, I mean... It's always a tough one, right? And especially when they're serving free alcohol. I mean, how do you turn down a free glass of wine on the plane? But I got to tell you, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's being a little older now, but I can't have that second glass of wine on the plane. It just, maybe it's the dry air. It just gives me a headache. Can't do it. Can't do it. So steering clear of the wine and beer on the plane, I tend towards, I flip-flop between two, ginger ale or... My go-to for the longest time has been Cran Apple. I don't know why. It's not like I'm running to the store buying Cran Apple all the time. I don't even think they sell Cran Apple juice here in Norway. You got to mix it yourself. You got to get the cranberry juice and the apple juice, and you just put it together the good old-fashioned way. Speaking of which, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I'm going to get those two at the store next time. But yeah, Cran Apple. It's always Minute Maid. I don't know why. Minute Maid Cran Apple. There you go. That's my go-to. It's been my go-to for the longest time. And do you have a go-to airline beverage? I'd love to hear... What it is, drop me a line. I'm on Twitter at Zero to Travel. You can send me an email, bump into me on the street, and just randomly tell me what your favorite airline beverage is. I would love that too. (laughs) 
All right, I'm going to leave you with this amazing quote since we were talking about Matt's memoir today. And this is from Hope Yarin. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I looked her up because I wanted to see who she was, and she's an esteemed geochemist and geobiologist who is actually at the University of Oslo, Norway, where I am. Anyway, this is quote's really cool. She says, A tree's wood is also its memoir. Love that. Love that. A tree's wood is also its memoir. Okay. Thank you, you beautiful soul, you, for taking the time to be here with me. Yes, there's 10 million things you could be doing anywhere around the world. So much going on in this world. It's crazy. So much information through the internet. So many different things happening all the time. But you were here with me. You hung out with us today. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you. Thanks so much, and until next time... Adios, amigo, amiga, and have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.